Good morning, you guys. I'm stoked to be with you this morning. Um, I kind of want to give it up for Dylan's mustache, too. That thing's, that thing's pretty impressive. So um, if I had that mustache, I'd need marriage counseling. So that's the way it would be with my wife. So um, I just, uh, just to get to know you guys a little bit or for you to get to know me so you're not like, who's this stranger? Um, my name is Pete Vitale. I have um, a wonderful wife named Jen. We've been married a little over 25 years. Um, three great kids. Connor is 20 and doing great in his walk with the Lord. My daughter Noelle is 18. And um, she also is doing great. And um, even though she totaled our car two and a half weeks ago, so just let it go. It's, she's doing fine. And then... Um, and then my, uh, my youngest, Aiden, uh, he's also doing great. He's a junior in high school. I was talking with Jeremy earlier. He's a, he's a linebacker, not quite as big as Jeremy, but, but good. And uh, so um, I, I came to know the Lord when I was 21. I'm 49 now. I had abs and hair back then. Those are gone. But um, God's been good to us. He's been so good to us over the years, and um, I have a wonderful marriage. It's not perfect, but my God's perfect, and he's helped us, especially helped my wife, <laughs> being married to me all these years, and, um, and same with my children. We have the same problems that everybody else faces, but, um, uh, you know, in the world, we're going to have problems. It's just, are you going to go through them with Jesus or not? There's a big difference there, so... Um, I have been in pastoral ministry, like on a staff at a church, for about 15 years. Um, and uh, so for the first 10 years or so of, of serving the Lord, it was in a lay capacity. Um, was really surprised when I came on staff at a church. I just thought, I love Jesus, I want to I do something for him. And, but as you do that over time, uh, he who is faithful in little things... You know, God adds unto him much. He basically said, well, Pete, I can trust you. And with a little and a little more and a little more. And so didn't set out to be a pastor or anything like that. Uh, but God has, God has really worked. And um, so I'd, I'd like to uh, have you guys turn to Acts chapter 11 this morning. I understand that you guys have been working through uh, some, some of the Old Testament. You've been wor- looking at um, the United Kingdom under... Uh, David and Saul and Solomon, and so we'll actually be looking at a Saul this morning, but it won't be the same Saul. It's uh, it's a thousand years later here that we're looking at. So uh, my hope and my goal before I pray is, um, uh, one, that you'll be encouraged. Two, it'll be refreshing for you to have somebody else in the pulpit this morning. But three, that you'll also be like, okay, we're ready to get back to Pastor Josiah next week. So, so the, hopefully all that will be accomplished. And uh, let's pray, and then we'll get started, all right? So, Father, I uh, want to thank you, Lord, for your, really your promise to be present among people when they gather in your name. And, uh, Lord, I'm so uh, really just blessed, honored, happy to be with these these sweet saints, these people of yours this morning, Lord. Um, it's, a, it's a joy for me to be here. And Lord, I, I, I'm not the guest here. You're the guest. You're the one that we're inviting. Be welcome here. 
have your way among us. Uh, Lord, you're the only one who knows every name in this place and the full details of each of our lives. And you're the one that cares most about each of us. And so, God, thank you that you can take the same Bible study, the same passage, and you can minister to us all different. You can work it into our lives all just as we need. So we pray that you do that this morning and that your people would be edified and encouraged and challenged and convicted where necessary, but really built up by you, Lord. So uh, thank you for being here with us this morning, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, um, I'm, uh, I've, had, I've had a lot of hats that I've worn in my years in, in ministry. Uh, I came to know the Lord, as I told you, when I was 21. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't really know the Bible or anything like that. Um, I know Josiah's name was the young boy king, was Josiah, eight years old. And so he was kind of, I don't know if this Josiah was raised up in the things of the Lord, but I know that that Josiah was, but I wasn't. So when I, when I came to know Jesus, um, I... I just fell in love with them and began to grow excited about the things of God and wanted to, I was like, you died on a cross for me, I want to do something for you, and uh, tr- started to get involved in my local church, and after a year or so, I started working in children's ministry, and uh, just working with kids, and um, and I want to say to you that children's ministry for me was my Bible college. Like, okay, here's the lesson for the kids. I don't know anything about that. I'm going to learn the Bible this week. <laughs> you know, so five days before uh, I'm going to be teaching them about Daniel and the lion's den, I'm finding out that there was a Daniel and a lion's den, you know. So, um, you know, I don't know that I was the best teacher, but I was excited and enthusiastic about whatever I was teaching. I was like, guys, do you know this? And all the homeschool kids were like, yeah, we know it, you know. It's like, so, but... um but uh, that, that's how I, I came to know the Bible. And, uh, and I'm honestly a big kid. I mean, I'm a grown man. I'm a responsible adult. I've been in retail management and restaurant management and work construction and graphic work. I've done a lot. I've worn a lot of hats. But I am a big kid. And, um, and so uh, I actually taught a variation of this message just a couple weeks ago to uh, third through fifth graders. So... so I'm downgrading now to adults with you guys, but um, I have some slides that I've put up, and I kind of try to teach in a comic booky style and do whiteboard kind of stuff. So, um, so like I said, hopefully you don't feel insulted that I'm teaching you like kids, but this that's that's the way I know how to teach. So that's the way I'm going to do it. So um, picking up in Acts chapter 11, I want to start reading at verse 19, and there'll be some scriptures up on the screen. It says. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So, the book of Acts is the story, really, of the early church, and there's a lot that you could say about it, and I'm going to give you a definition of the church. It's not the only definition, it's certainly not complete, but it'll give you a sense. The church is the people who love and live for and learn from Jesus. That would be a good way, one way, to define the church. And so, 
So that's what the book of Acts is about. Uh, King Jesus has died on a cross. He's rose from the dead. He spent some amount of time post-resurrection instructing his followers. And then he said, I am going to send my spirit to empower you guys, and I'm out of here. So the book has been called the Acts of the Apostles, which would be fine, but I'm going to show you today, uh, as we work through this passage, why maybe I'll give you maybe a better title. Rather than the Acts of the Apostles, the continuing acts of Jesus by his Spirit through his people. I think that's a good title for it, because in the beginning of the book of Acts, which was, by the way, also authored by Luke, the Gospel of Luke, he wrote both of those. At the beginning of the book of Acts, he says, the former account, the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I made of all Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, the Gospel of Luke was his account of the beginning of Jesus' work. The implication being, the book of Acts is the continuing of Jesus' work. And I found, just as a Christian, as a man, as a leader in the church, I'm so glad that Jesus said he'd build his church, that I don't have to build his church, that that the work of the church, the work of, of building the church is the work of Jesus, and he wants to do it by his spirit through people, through people like you and me, just normal folks. So... So what we see here, and, and there's, a, there's a little bit of context here, it says, now those who were scattered after the persecution of Stephen. So if you, if you went back in, in, in the book of Acts a few chapters, we, we realized that that persecution of Stephen happened back in chapter 7. Stephen was a young man who um, was a deacon in the early church. A deacon just means a servant, um, a lot like a greeter or somebody who was setting up everything beforehand. Deacon just means servant. You know, we, we kind of changed that word to be like a real religious word, right? But um, I think maybe a waitress or, or, or a butler or something is a lot closer to the idea of deacon, someone who's waiting on and serving others. So, <clears throat> That was, that was Stephen's early job, you see, in Acts chapter 6. And yet this guy who is just a you know, greeter or something in the early church, he was waiting on tables, he was serving the widows there, um, he gets the opportunity to really boldly proclaim Jesus and does so in such a way that uh, he's, he's martyred. He becomes the first martyr of the Christian church other than our king, who was the actual first martyr, but the first non-Jesus martyr. Now he's, um, he's stoned to death by some people, and, um, and that really sparks after about two years since the, since the birth of the church, it sparks the, the point in Jerusalem and the surrounding area where the church begins to be really persecuted. Uh, there were a few other things, some arrests and stuff like that, but it really was like kind of a spark that gets things bad in that area. And so people start to leave, you know, it's like, well, we know, you know, a hurricane comes, you get out of town sometimes, you know, and things were getting hard, so people started to go. But it's providential, it's interesting, because Jesus said, you know, the Great Commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then at the beginning of Acts, he said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And yet two years have passed, and they're still just hanging around Jerusalem. Now, there could be a lot of reasons. I know human nature. You know, sometimes we're complacent. Sometimes it's hard to get going. And sometimes we want everything to be perfect before we get started. But it seems pretty apparent as you read through the book of Acts as well that there were also some, some prejudices, some biases in the early church. 
um, it was it was all Jewish in the early days, and um, there there was a a sort of um, you know there is no other word for it than prejudice against the Gentile world. You know the Jews had you know all of their laws, all of their rules, their dietary restrictions, and then all their cultural you know habits and cleanliness and you know um, you know you know when you 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 know getting ready to maybe shake hands with somebody and and you you know you shake hands with them and they've got that like filthy clammy hand feel you know and then you're just kind of thinking about all right how soon till I get to the bathroom and wash my hands you know how how long till I I get this filth off of me and and but it was it was bigger than that for Jews it was you know they they understood that this outside world was pagan and they're they they didn't know the living god they didn't know the truth of the scriptures and and so and sadly what it created was a we're better than them mentality now uh we certainly are familiar uh, in in just being human beings that there is such a thing as prejudices and biases you guys ever heard somebody say um god looks at my heart you've ever heard that before God knows my heart. God looks at my heart. That comes from a passage where Samuel is getting ready to anoint David as king. And, um, and David was like the little brother of a bunch of brothers. And, um, and uh, when David's older brothers kind of come in and Samuel the prophet looks at them, he thinks, especially his first brother, he's like, oh my gosh, this guy's impressive. You know, he's like tall. He's like good-looking and stuff, and he says in his mind, surely this is the Lord's next king. And then the Lord speaks to his heart. He said, this isn't the one. I've rejected him. For um, Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. I want to tell you, there's two truths there. One truth is that God looks at the heart. He sees us, right? He sees us clear as day. It says all things are naked and open before him to whom we must give account. So God knows who we are fully. But there's another truth there, and that's that man does look at the outward appearance. We just have eyeballs, right? <laughs> they, they, they see some level of light, and we can oppose it and should oppose it and not want it, but the fact is is that we make prejudgments. That's what prejudice means. We make prejudgments all the time. Whether it's, you know, by the, the, you know, is a person skinny or fat? You know, what color is their skin? What clothes are they wearing? Where are they, we make all these little judgments that go on. And, and let me tell you, and what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is this. The only true and lasting and permanent solution to prejudice is to see like God sees. Because God looks on the heart, right? And, and so, you know, I do firmly believe that what what the church of jesus christ has is something that the world desperately needs and that's to see people for the value that they have the way god sees them you know god looks at people as they really are and that should be combating the prejudices that that just human beings are stuck with a lot of times but with that in mind that is existing in the early church right now for sure and even though their king, who died on a cross and rose from the dead, has told them to go into all the world, it hasn't happened. And yet, God's going to work out his plan, right? So he takes the wickedness of people within Jerusalem persecuting his church to start to spread them out through the world, right? 
And it's an, it's an awesome thing that happens. Now, look what it says there. It says, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as, and there's a bunch of places. So I have a little map up here, and um, the guys will get it up there. There we go. And you see where Jerusalem is there. It's down in the south. And so Phoenicia was that larger region as you worked your way up. And there you see that, that island, Cyprus. And then a city, Antioch, is mentioned there. And so people are just kind of moving on. You know, it's like, I'm a Christian now. I'm following Jesus. It's a hotbed there in Jerusalem. We need to find a new place. I need to find a new job. You know, we need to go somewhere where, where the heat isn't as much as it is. And so people begin to go. And I want you to know what it says here. It says, they were preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So as they went, they'd go into the city, they'd find a Jewish synagogue, they'd find some people like them, and begin to talk to them about Jesus. So, so the, the prejudices are kind of going with them. Do you understand? They're, they're going, and, and listen, I'm, I'm real gracious with it. It's like, I'm one of these guys that I do make friends pretty easy, but when you get in a new environment, like I'm like the new guy here, so it's like, Every conversation is a new awkward conversation. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's like you're just trying to do the best you can with it. And so, so, you know, and we gravitate towards people that are more like us. That's, you know, you try to find somebody who's more like you or, or try and find some common ground. So I understand it. You know, let's, let's get to town. Let's find a synagogue. Let's talk Jewish things. And so that happens. And, um, but look what it says, verse 20. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. Now, the Hellenists is another way for saying the Greeks, which is another way of saying not Jews, and which is another way of saying Gentiles or pagans, or people who have really no religious training or background, no knowledge of the God of Israel, of the scriptures, of any of these things. Some of them. So, We'll talk a little bit more about this in a second, but I want to say I'm really trying to address three types of people this morning to encourage you in the ways that God would use you and your place within the kingdom of God. And this first group of people is literally unnamed. It's just as some of them, some nobodies, some randoms, <laughs> some people where it doesn't even say who they were. And listen, these are the first people in history to unprompted fulfill the Great Commission. To go and preach the gospel to Gentiles. This, actually, this passage here is changing the whole world. And we don't even know the names of the people. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Some of them. Some guys from Cyprus and Cyrene, that's all they are. They are people who just say, well, Jesus said, and I think I should, and... <laughs> I don't know that I'm qualified, but I'm gonna. That's really just who this group of people is. Some of them go and they, and they spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. You know, there's been a few steps to this, actually. Uh, it was back in Acts chapter 8, after Stephen's persecution, that we see Philip go to the Samaritans, who were kind of half-Jews. I want to explain all the history and the story of that. It's, it's going to be actually built in to when the kingdom divides, when, when Pastor Josiah gets past the United Kingdom, when the kingdom divides, there's this whole thing where you learn about the Samaritans and stuff. But, but really kind of half-Jews. And 
And you see that there were some prejudices there. You remember the woman at the well was in Samaria in John chapter 4. And she has said, how is it that you, a Jew, are speaking to me, a Samaritan, to Jesus? So, so that was built in there. But, um, but the idea is, okay, yeah, they started there. And then you also see uh, in Acts chapter 10, Peter really prompted, urged, and pushed by God to go and share with Cornelius. And I won't get into the whole story with you, but there's some, some Romans who... Uh, are um, seeking God, really, and God gives them some divine communication, and then he gives Peter some divine communication, and then he says, Peter, you got to go talk to them. And Peter's resistant. He's like, Lord, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that I should be going into these, these unclean Gentiles, and God moves him to do it. And so there's the second. So first you have We've seen people go into the Samaritans, kind of half-Jews, and we've seen God really push a man to go do something and share with Gentiles. And then we see, earlier in this chapter, people going out, actually getting out of Jerusalem, but, but talking to Jews in other places. But this spot right here is the first time that people of their own free will, just without any other backstory and without any real recognition, not even being named, say, we're going to go just tell some people about Jesus. It's awesome. It's an awesome thing that's happening right here. I want to read to you from um, a commentary. This is William Barclay. And I, I generally don't like to be the just read what somebody else said guy. But um, I also think I have to bow down sometimes and be like, that guy says it a lot better than I do. So, so I'm, I am going to read him. And, um, here it is. Uh, here we have a truly amazing thing. The church has taken the most epic-making of all steps, and we do not even know the names of the people who took the step. All we know is that they came from Cyprus and Cyrene. They go down in history as nameless pioneers of Christ. It has always been one of the tragedies of the church that men have wished to be noticed and named when they did something worthwhile. What the church has always needed, perhaps more than anything else, is people who never care who gains the credit for it so long as the work is done. These men may not have written their names in the men's books, men's books of history, but they have written them forever in God's book of life. Amen, dude. That is so good. You know, and, and you know, I think the temptation, by nature, we like to be recognized, we like to be praised. I'm not saying it's a total fault, but it is when it gets in the way of the name being honored. Because look what it says. It says, but some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, we don't know their names, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. That's the name that needs to get the recognition, right? Like if I go out of here and I'm, a, and, you know, I'm never invited back and you're like, yeah, I remember that bold preacher was here one day. I don't care if you remember my name. But I do remember, I, I care if you remember that you, that you have a place in declaring the Lord Jesus to people. That matters to me, and that's important. So, so that's the first group here. It says that the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. It didn't depend on them, did it? It just depended on God being able to do something with them. It, can he? Can he do something with you and me? I mean, I'm sure you're aware and familiar with your own limitations. I am. 
I look in the mirror and like, well, you're stuck with this guy, Lord. This is, you know what you're working with, right? But is anything too hard for the Lord? No, God can do so much more with us than we think he can. And just takes a person who's willing to say, well, I'm in it with you, Lord. I'm, I'm nothing special and I don't need to be named or recognized, but I want to be a part of what you're doing. So it's great. Next part here, uh, it says, verse 22, then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So here we have one of my favorite characters in Scripture, Barnabas. He's named quite a few times, especially the early part of the book of Acts. It's rare that you will hear Saul's name mentioned without Barnabas by his side. Saul, who will become Paul. But um, uh, we first hear of him in Acts chapter 4, where he generously gives to the early church. He had a big heart. His name was actually Joses, if I don't know if that's the right pronunciation, J-O-S-E-S, but he got a nickname, uh, Barnabas, and it means son of encouragement or son of comfort or son of consolation. You get a picture of what his character was. He was a guy who just felt better when you were around him. He was a loving guy, and uh, they just kind of nicknamed him. Like, man, everybody was happy when Barnabas showed up. He was everybody's friend, and... Um, and just a big-hearted guy. So um, we see him there. We also see him in Acts chapter 9. So Saul, uh, who will become the Apostle Paul, was, uh, he was a Pharisee, and he was one of the guys present when Stephen was being stoned to death at, the first, at that first martyrdom. And so Saul uh, was was an opposer of the church. It says he was making havoc of the early church. He was going around finding Christians, arresting them, bringing them before the Pharisees. He was causing big trouble. And we read in Acts chapter 9 of Jesus appearing to him, his conversion, his like wake up, really. But, but when that happens, when, when, when Saul becomes a Christian, there's a lot of people that don't trust it. They're like, I think he's faking it. And he's trying to infiltrate the church and find all our little cells and get people arrested. And you can understand why. People were having a hard time. In fact, the, Paul's, or Saul's struck blind and there's a man that God sends to him to heal him. And, the, and as God speaks to the man, the guy's like, isn't he that guy though, Lord? I'm kind of scared to go talk to him, man. He's like, go there and touch him and he'll receive his sight. And so that happens. But the one who becomes friends with Saul who when everybody else doesn't want anything really to do with them and is scared of them, it's Barnabas. And I just want to kind of talk about him. And, you know, some of you guys, it's going to be, I'm just some man. And I just want to be used by the Lord. But some of you guys, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're a man with a few gifts, a woman with a few gifts. Maybe, and maybe the important part of your story is that you can just be a good friend to somebody. Hey, why don't, you, why don't you come to church with me <laughs> and just sit with me? Or you might be the one when somebody's hurting so bad and maybe that person's hurting so bad that they're like toxic and nobody wants to be around them. And you're the one that says, I'll be around them. 
and I'll be your friend. But Barnabas comes along and he does. And, you know, we read of some of his character here. It says that the, the early church was like, we hear about something going on in Antioch. By the way, Antioch was like the third greatest city in the Roman Empire. This was not a small place. It was uh, Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. And it was, it was massive. It was cosmopolitan, immoral. Um, and, and yet this is the place where God is doing something, doing something absolutely brand new. And the church in Jerusalem, which is the church that we've heard about up until this point in the book of Acts, the leadership that's all there, that's like, we need to send somebody to check it out. And it really is just the grace and the providence of God that they sent this guy, this big-hearted, generous guy who didn't prejudge and was like open to whatever the Lord might do. And he goes there and it says that he saw the grace of God. Now, Grace is a theological concept that speaks of God's unmerited favor, of his goodness that he wants to pour on people because he loves them. It speaks of his, his power to work. So when I was teaching kids, I asked guys, what, what do you think it means that they saw the grace of God? And the kids had like all the best answers. And someone was like, I think they probably saw people praying. I was like, that's good. I think they saw that. You know, and they probably had, they probably taught the Bible. Uh huh. That would be part of it. And people maybe understood it, <laughs> like it made sense to them. And you know, um, they probably sang songs to Jesus. I bet they did. And someone said there were probably some miracles. I, I'm sure that there were. And again, what does it look like? I mean, for myself, not to you know, uh, butter you guys up, but I walk in this morning and I felt like I saw the grace of God here. I felt like I saw a little crummy little Quiet Waters Elementary School cafeteria turn into this great little space. And I saw a bunch of servant-hearted people who said, you know, I don't have to get up at seven in the morning on a Sunday, you know, and you know, you remember that old song, it's easy like Sunday morning, not for the setup team, you know what I mean? It's like, like we're, we're working, you know? And so they, you know, they're out here because they love the king. They, they, they love their savior. I say, oh, I can, I can, I could do something for him, you know. And they come out, and I saw the grace of God. A lot of smiles, a lot of laughs, really natural, you know. Sound booth guys were having too much fun back there. I said, settle down, you guys, troublemakers. So, but he saw the grace of God, and again, and generous. This is a, a Gentile work that's happening. Barnabas is a Jewish man. And he isn't looking at them with them crummy eyes. He's like, God, you love these people. Look at what you're doing. It's awesome what you're doing. You know, and I've found over the years, you know, even though I didn't grow up in a Christian background, you know, it's like you become a part of the church. It's a new community. There's new values. Um, you kind of acquire the values of the people that are around you. And unfortunately, somewhere along the line, as God's cleaning our life up, it's real easy to become judgmental of others whose life isn't clean. Isn't it? You know, it's like, you know, it's like you homeschool your kids or something because you're trying to protect them from the bad influences, but then all of a sudden you get in like a holy huddle, you know, and it's like, it's us chosen frozen, you know, it's like, stay, stay away from, from us. And, you know, it's like my wife and I, we homeschooled our kids through, through, through elementary school, and then in middle school, we began to pray, Lord, when, when do we send them out? You know, it's like we want to protect them to a point, but 
And then by the time they reached high school, it was time for every one of them. It's like we wanted them to begin to interact with the filthy, unclean, immoral world that Jesus loves and to do that while they were under our roof and we could help them navigate it. Didn't want them to just get out to college and kind of be lost or whatever. And man, that had ups and downs for sure. All right, I'm not saying it all worked out perfect. We had the perfect plan, but but um, again, Barnabas, this generous-hearted man. You know, he's not listed as an apostle or you know a teacher or a prophet at this point. He's just a guy that they thought he's really loving. Let's send him up there, and 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 he goes. And it says, look at look at what it says. He encouraged them that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. And then it says that he was good, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And what happens as a result of this man being added to the church? So you had some men who started the first Gentile church in the world, and we don't know their names. But when Barnabas comes, here's what happens. When this guy's added, it says a great many people were added to the Lord. He strengthened the work. And so Barnabas is a great example of a guy who is just trying to find out what God's doing and just jump in the middle of it. He's not the pioneer here, is he? But he's just saying, I think God's doing something there. I want to help. I want to be a part. I want to encourage. I want to, I want to strengthen the work. So that's awesome. Now, before we put up that last picture, you guys, I want to read uh, the remainder of our text here. And then, then we've got some pictures we're going to put up. But it says, verse 25, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, Barnabas is there and he's experiencing the work. And he's seeing the grace of God and he's watching God do things. And as he's there, it comes to his mind. I don't know if it's just a thought that came to him. I don't know if he was praying and the Lord spoke to him. But one way or the other, he gets it in his mind. You know who would be great here? My old friend, Saul. I think God could really use him here. Now, when we read through the text, we lose the timestamps. But it's been 10 years since Saul was, received Jesus. Ten years have passed. And he's back in Tarsus. He's called Saul of Tarsus. That was where he was from. That was where he grew up. Now, I want to kind of paint a picture here. And there's a few leaps that are involved, but indulge me. And and just kind of give you an idea. This was a man who was very zealous for the things of God. And he grew up in Tarsus, which was not a Jewish city. And yet he was zealous for the the God of Israel, the things of Judaism. The temple was where? In Jerusalem. You know, this was the center of the world as far as he was concerned. And to become a Pharisee involved crazy study. I won't go into the details, but let's just say it was like having to get a doctorate. Like, you're committing. Like, like I imagine there'd be a lot of kids who'd be doctors and take doctor money if it meant just a year of going to school. <laughs> but because it doesn't, because it takes a lot more, there's, there has to be some devotion, some dedication, some commitment, some, some sense of counting the cost and sacrifice. And so to become a Pharisee involved that, and Saul was one of those. And he was, he was just, uh, he, he called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. 
That's what he said. You know, I'm not just like a Jew. I'm like the best kind of Jew. And the best kind of Jew would be in Jerusalem and in Jerusalem near the temple and in the temple declaring the scriptures. That's kind of the sense I want you to get from him. And yet, when he received Christ, that meant instant ostracization from that ostracization. I don't know if I said that right. I made it up. Let's go with it. So he, his friends dipped on him. That's what I was trying to say. Everybody is like out. He was fired from his job. He lost his influence in his community. His whole peer group was out. I mean, his peer group, read, read the Gospels. It was the Pharisees that conspired and pushed to get Jesus put to death. And Saul was the one who was sitting at the hand, holding cloaks for everybody, consenting to Stephen's death. So this is who he was, and now he's different from all his old friends. He doesn't have that job anymore, and he has to go back, makes his way back to Tarsus. There's no prospects left for me in Jerusalem anymore. Um, I have a and maybe I can have the guys put it on the screen, little drawing I did. This was just kind of to help the kids understand Paul and where he was at, but I'll read it to you. He goes, I guess that I'm stuck back here in Tarsus. My future seems so bright in Jerusalem. It's okay, I guess. God can still use me here. Now, I don't know that he said that. This is how I help kids understand things. But you can imagine, if he didn't, you know there's people that do think that way, Right? And maybe you felt that way at times where, you know, this is the direction I thought things were going to go. And maybe now I feel like I'm disqualified for whatever reason, for whatever thing that I had hoped it was going to be. And, you know, and, and at the same time we read, we read in Galatians chapter 2 that Paul was still busy about the things of God there. And that's why I wrote, God can still use me here. I, kn I know that. But... I want to tell you right now that God had plans for this man. He was going to write half of the New Testament. He was going to go on missionary journeys, uh, plant churches all over the known world at that time. And it's been said that apart from Jesus himself, no man has had a greater impact on Western culture than Paul. Saul who will become Paul. And you know what the connection point was for this guy? Barnabas, a friend, somebody who said, not I'm focused on me, on my ministry, on my influence here in Antioch, but I want to see God, I want to see God do the most he can through anybody. Like, like who knows what God wants to do with the person, with you or me? You know, uh, and so he goes, it says he sought Saul. Now, if you're older, you remember Yellow Pages? You know, we'd, we, we actually, by the way, young people, when we wanted to find somebody in the old days, we had this big, thick book with thin newsprint pages, and you'd look up their name and their phone number would be listed in there. I know you guys do it different now, and I do as well. This is better. <laughs> it's so much better. I don't even know anybody's number anymore. It's just in my phone as a name. It's, I don't know my kid's phone number. I just, like, call Connor. So... Hey, Siri, you know all of it. So, anyways, um, so it, it says he went looking for him. How long did it take? I just know he's there in Tarsus somewhere. I don't know. I mean, just worth thinking about. It says, but when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. He persuaded him. He said, come with me. I think there's a great opportunity. There's something that's happening. And again, this 
thoroughly steeped in Jewish prejudice man, <laughs> Saul, that the Jews are better than anybody else in the world, he's going to become the apostle to Gentiles. He's going to be the one who reaches the Gentile world. He just upside downs the man. It completely changes him for the better. For this, this grace and this generosity and this openness of God making us in his image and loving us, you know? What a poor misunderstanding of the Old Testament to think that the Jewish people were to separate themselves. I think it's in Deuteronomy 9 where he says, you know, when you come into the land and you get there, don't think it's because of your righteousness. Because you're a stiff-necked people. It's because of my grace. I just had to pick somebody to work with. I had to pick a nation. So he did, you know? And it's a blessing. They were blessed to be picked by God for sure. But later in the scriptures it says they were to be a light to the Gentiles. And not the type of light that's like a spotlight in an interrogation room. Like, oh, what did you guys do? You know what I mean? It's like, not that kind of light, but a light that showed them how to walk. And for sure, that light came into the world through Christ. But then Jesus said to you and I that we're the light of the world. I want you to know, he didn't say you should be the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And this is about just saying, God, uh, you know, I, I know that in this room, all of us identify in some way with those kind of groups of people, right? Those three that we talked about, nameless nobodies, randoms, that just say, well, I, I really don't care if there's any credit. I just, I want to be a part, and I want Jesus to be honored. And I want to see the people I love, or people, men from Cyprus and Cyrene go back to that area and say, I want people from this area to know Jesus. I don't want them to die and be separated from God forever. I want them to go to heaven, right? And you can think of your friends, your loved ones, your family, maybe your, your, your old crew you used to hang with, that you came to know Jesus, and now they all think you're weird, but you still love them. And God does, right? So maybe one of those, or maybe you're a person who's already like fully involved, fully engaged, like a Barnabas, you know, a, a guy who's an encourager and a helper, and I just encourage you you know, maybe for a season, this is your church, and you do that here. And then maybe God, for a job or for any other series of legitimate reasons, God moves you to another place. Man, find something that God's doing and get involved and say, I just want to be a part. I don't need to be the pioneer. I don't need to be the starter. I just want to take who I am and add it to what God might do. And then lastly, someone like a Saul. Someone who life got turned upside down for whatever series of events or reasons. And in some way, shape, or form, there's sort of a resignation, although a godly resignation that says, it's okay if I'm right here, Lord, you can just use me here. And maybe just, we don't know what our future holds, and we humbly just say, okay, this is, this is where I'm serving. Would you, you know, just maybe consider that God might want to do something a little bit more than that? I'm sure that Saul did not have a vision of what God was going to do with his life. It's ridiculous, you know, that we're talking about him here, you know, 7,000 miles from Tarsus and, you know, 2,000 years later. He certainly never imagined any of your faces or mine, right? But, you know, this is, this is, this is what it is that the things that we do could echo into eternity, and be talked about forever and ever. Whether they're recorded or people recognize those names, the Lord sees. 
In Revelation 22, 12, it says this, Behold, I am coming quickly. This is King Jesus speaking. And my reward is with me to give to each one according to his work. You know, and I told you guys I've I worked in children's ministry for the better part of 20 years, probably 17 years I worked in children's ministry. And in that time, I would have first through fifth graders. I'd have them in my class for five years, and sometimes that was a nightmare. I was like, Dorian, you're still in fourth grade. I got one more year of you. Please, God, help me, you know. But, but, uh, but you know, so for five years of those years, I had some kids in my class. And then sometimes I labored side by side with guys for three, four, five, six years. They were my co-laborers, and we battled together. And my wife, on and off through all of those years, she was definitely not in every class, but you know, at various times, I was like, I need a hand in there today, honey, or I'm going to come in with you. I was like, yes, someone pretty in there. You know? and so so yeah, that, that, was, that was the way it would go. But I'm telling you this for a fact. Only King Jesus was in every one of my classes. All the ones that came and went. He's the one who sees every mistake, <laughs> Every great thing that happened, he's got it all logged. And I, I, to me, that's exciting and worth being a part of, you know. Worth being a part of the kingdom of God touching down. This, this life goes quick, man. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm right around the corner from a half century. <laughs> and, you know, it was like I was, I was a quarter century when all this started for me, you know. And maybe got another quarter to go and then I'll enter into eternity. The things that are done here for Jesus matter. A thousand years from now, two thousand years from now, ten thousand years from now. So, you know, I know how life is. I know what we're involved in. These are just normal folks that we talked about here with normal problems. But that's who God uses. It's the only type of people that there are. <laughs> that's what he's got to work with, and it's his great hand that does those things. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and, and close us out. And... Um, and let's wrap it up. Father, I just thank you so much for one, just personally, Lord, that you let me be a part. There's probably not many famous people that would want anything to do with most of us. But, Lord, you're the most famous of all and you invite us in. And I just, I'm so grateful, Lord. It's been such a wonderful thing to walk with you and be a part of what you're doing. And I just want to pray for these people, Lord. Um, they heard the message and you, they, the, the types that we talked about. You know where each one stands, Lord, and what's resonating with their heart and how maybe you're prompting some or encouraging some. And so, Lord, um, between you and them, would you just be doing work in their hearts, helping them, and whatever the next steps are in their life with you, that you'd help them. And um, lastly, Lord, I, I do want to pray for this little fellowship right here, that, um, that people would continue to come and see the grace of God, that people would be encouraged here to continue with the Lord, that people would be added to your kingdom forever and ever, Lord, I pray for friendships. I pray for a lot of Barnabas Saul connections and arms on shoulders and just people helping each other. We recognize that you know, our, our cities are like Antioch, Lord. They're a lot of sin, a lot of immorality, but Lord, filled with people who need you. And so, Lord, help us to both be pure but not judgmental. Um, 
help our lives to be beautiful and taste good when people get near them and uh, uh, help people to taste and see that you really are good from our life, Lord. And so uh, help, help these, your people, Lord. Help them with whatever the things are that are getting in the way of that. Thank you that you are compassionate towards us, Lord. Lord, I pray if any are maybe even bound with some sin that's just recurring in their life that seems to be obstructing you using them, Lord, help them right now. And um, so, Lord, we bless you. And we thank you for being with us today, teaching us. We pray in Jesus' name.